Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, guest speaker Joey Finnell shares about when the nitty-gritty of our lives comes in contact with Jesus. He challenges us with the question, are we so desperate for Jesus that we won't let anything stand in our way or keep us from sharing Him with others? Oh boy, I just love guys with too much time on their hands. Um, Thanks for the introduction. <clears throat> it's kind of a bittersweet time to, to be here with you, to, to fill in for Brandon. His grandfather passed away Friday about midday, and um, Brandon's actually conducting his grandfather's funeral about 2 o'clock today over in West Georgia, and we want to be in prayer for them as they travel, as they go through that time, and um, it's a privilege to be able to be here with you this morning on this holiday weekend. It looked more like a holiday weekend at 9 o'clock than it does now, um, but maybe the holiday was just, let's sleep in and go to the next service. So maybe some other people slept in even longer and will come to the next service. Um, but John uh, Irvin's going to be speaking at the next service. Um, and uh, I can only do two out of three. That's all I had in me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to be looking today. Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 9. I'm going to read just those two verses, 9 and 10. Romans 3. 9 and 10. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We've already made the change that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Let's pray together. Our God and our brokenness and our unfinishedness, there is none righteous. God, help us to see that this morning we come to you in brokenness and we come to you to spill ourselves out and the things that we bring into this place. Bless our hearts, God. Speak to us. Use this service to wash over us, expose the things that need to be exposed, and Heal us where we need to be healed this day, God. Amen. I'm going to be using some, um, some quotes and some ideas from uh, one of my favorite authors by the name of Mike Iaconelli. He was sort of the founder of an organization called Youth Specialties, and he wrote a lot of youth ministry material. And he was killed tragically several years ago in a car accident, but his, his writings and, and things that he did continue to, to live on and speaks to me on a daily basis. He made a statement like this. Our churches are filled with people who outwardly look contented and at peace, but inwardly are crying out for someone to love them, just as they are, confused, frustrated, often frightened, guilty, and often unable to communicate with their own families. But the other people in the church look so happy contented, that one seldom has the courage to admit his or her own deep needs before such a self-sufficient group as the average church meeting appears to be. Does that resonate with anyone? It does with me. Perhaps that statement hits most of us square in the face this morning, and I wonder where all that kind of happened. As I think of, you know, old, old shows and TV experiences that we grew up with, some of us 
like a little house on the prairie or leave it to beaver or, you know, um, I don't want to say anymore because then you'll just think I'm 70. <laughs> but my hair is because I bought it from someone who was 70. But I, um, the deal is, even watching those shows, I think about people going into church and they get all dressed up and they, they come in and everybody's kind of happy and looks happy. But for some reason, we've, we've gotten this thing mixed up where I need, I don't, you know, I, I tell people all the time and talk to them about going to church and they say, well, you know, I just need to get some things right before I, I come into the church. Really? What, what does that mean? How, how do you get things right away from the church and then come to the church? But it is an attitude that, that goes through all of our churches, I think, in this day and age. For as long as I can remember, I, I wanted to be a godly person. I grew up um, with a mother who played the organ, so every Saturday we were at the church for practice. And that's where I learned how to scale the backs of pews on a time limit and um, roll things underneath the pews down to the front, you know, and kind of race marbles. Um, it, was a, it was an interesting time for me. I know where all the nooks and crannies of the church was, um, swam in the baptistry, just things that you do <laughs> as a child. But as long as I can remember, I've been in the church and I've wanted to be a godly person, yet when I look at the yesterdays of my life and what I see mostly is this broken, irregular path littered with mistakes and failures. I don't want to be St. Francis, nor do I want to be Billy Graham. I just want to be remembered as a person who loved God, who served people more than I served myself. Those may be your words, too. I relate it to a dream of, of walking down the beach with a crowd of folks, and we're walking along, and Jesus is coming towards us. I'm excited. He's smiling, and he's looking, and he looks out, and he, he reaches out his hand, and he goes, I want you to follow me. I go, oh, good, God, oh, I can't wait, Jesus. He goes, no, not you. Sorry, the guy behind you. Sometimes I feel like that in the presence of God. Even though I'm a minister, a Christian counselor, even though I think about Jesus every day and a lot of times most of the day, my walk with him is, looks sort of like that family circle cartoon with PJ and Jeffy or Dolly as they meander and they got the dotted line behind them showing their path. It's all over the place. Climb a tree, jump a puddle, crawl over a fence, pet a dog, twirl on a light pole, and finally make it home much later than necessary. That's just how life looks back there from up here. But the question arises, how can anyone who doesn't have it all together speak about the issues of spirituality, you may ask? It's like Ronald McDonald explaining quantum mechanics or playing Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. That definition might be correct if you define religion and spirituality the way many people define religion and spirituality. Most people seem to have the notion that in order to be really spiritual, that you must pray all day long, read the Bible constantly, never get upset, always be in control of your emotions, and are close confident with the God Almighty. Why don't we just add faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than the women's mission group, and able to leap the church steeple in a single bound. You know the folks I'm talking about. You know how they sound, and you know how they act. 
So if we don't fit that definition of being spiritual, where does it leave us? What about the rest of us who are beaten and bruised with the battles of life? What about the folks who are divorced? What about those who struggle with addiction? Those who are struggling with sex outside of marriage? Have a kid who drives you nuts or into the poorhouse or both? What about the person who wants so desperately to be holy and righteous and just can't seem to drive across town without wanting to commit vehicular homicide? Can the nitty-gritty of your life and mine be pleasing to God? The answer is yes, it can. How do I know that? It's actually pretty simple. You and me and every nit of our nitty-gritty, every grit of our nitty-gritty is precisely the reason that Jesus found himself crossways with the perfect religious people of his day. And Jesus was very clear that he saw through the smoke and mirrors of their lives. The, shock, the real shocking implication of Jesus, his teaching and his ministry is anyone, absolutely anyone, can be spiritual. Iaconelli says, spirituality is not a formula. It's not a test. It's a relationship. Spirituality is not competency. It's about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection, it's about connection. And spirituality is not about being fixed, it's about God being present in the mess of our unfixedness. Any look at Scripture reveals this long list of people whose nitty-gritty collided with great force against the myth of perfection. Just think about Noah. That great hero who built this huge boat in the middle of the desert, who told his neighbors for over a century that a flood was coming. Oh, he had sense, didn't he? Went right on building against the ridicule and derision of everyone around him, but was the same guy who ran from the boat after the waters withdrew and immediately got drunk and naked. And maybe not in that order. (laughs) Noah, in the best of times of his life, was faithful and fiercely loyal to God's call. But in the nitty-gritty, he had bouts of loneliness, depression, and liquored living. Every biblical character was an interesting mix of strengths and of weaknesses. They were men and women who could be gentle, holy, defenders of the faith. One minute, an insecure, mentally unstable, unbelieving, grudge-holding tyrants the next. Christianity has this long story tradition of nitty-gritty people. Our prophets are nitty-gritty. The disciples were nitty-gritty. The apostles had their nitty-gritty. The children of Israel got in one mess after another in the Old Testament. And the New Testament was basically written to straighten out the messes of the church. The Bible, it presents this glorious story of nitty-gritty people over and over again. The nitty and gritty of their lives and ours just unveils the myth of perfection. It calls us all to come into the light and stop pretending. In all of history, no one ever had it all together. No one today, not even your saintly grandmother, has it all together. And no one, nowhere, no how, 
ever will get beyond the nitty-gritty that characterizes who we are. I'll never forget my saintly grandmother, who I think was a wonderful person. I kind of grew up with her, just spent the night with her all the time, and never heard anything negative out of her mouth, never heard a vulgar word out of her mouth. But she developed Alzheimer's late in her life, and I'll never forget in the room where she was staying of how she would talk to the nurses, some of the people in there, and even use racial slurs that I had never heard come out of her mouth. Even in the midst of this saintliness that I knew that she had, the nitty-gritty would come out. Our nitty-gritty is the workshop for authentic spirituality. It's the greenhouse of faith. Our nitty-gritty is the place where the real Jesus meets the real you and me. So, nitty-gritty, meet Jesus. The real nitty-gritty of our lives describes the Christianity that most of us live and that few of us admit. It's an attempt to break through the walls of secrecy that describes most religion and brings legitimacy to a faith that is unfinished, that's incomplete, and under construction. I heard someone say, religion is for those people who are trying to stay out of hell. Spirituality is for those of us who have already been there. When your nitty-gritty meets Jesus, you are called to authentic spirituality. And authentic spirituality is complicated, perplexing, sloppy, and even chaotic. Picture for me a, a large deck on a boat. And all of us with our deck chairs. And our chair represents life purpose. And we're carrying around our deck chairs, and I'm always amazed... And how many people know exactly how I'm supposed to unfold my deck chair and where I'm supposed to put it? You just have to spend a few minutes on late night television listening to somebody tell you how to change your life or go to Books a Million and the self-help section and you can become a better person if you read their book. And they'll tell you how to unfold your deck chair and where to place it on the boat. The tattered rags of who I am spiritually seem to look all more unkempt when you place them next to all those immaculately dressed saints. Why don't I know how to do my deck chair? But just look a little closer through that crack in the door and stand just beyond the insulated walls of each of our lives and the nitty-gritty comes through loud and clear. There are more deck chairs in an unfolded position than those placed neatly in rows, forward or aft. Why? Well, the guilts and mistakes of our past make deck chair arrangement and prospects of the future make a forward-looking birth absolutely frightening. Our only hope is that our nitty-gritty meet Jesus and he unfolds and sets the deck chair where it needs to be. I have a paraphrase of one of my favorite verses. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my deck chair is unfolded and the webbing is tight. That means his deck chair is unfolded. He has all the answers. His webbing is tight, and it can hold whatever nitty and whatever gritty you commit to him. 
When our nitty-gritty meets Jesus, what does that look like? Sometimes it's a collision course. But first, Jesus calls us to quit pretending. He says, stop it. Sometimes we act like if we are pretending that maybe God won't know. When the real us meets the real Jesus, there's no room for pretending. But in most churches that exist, the unwritten rule is pretend. Pretend that God is in control even when you don't think he is. I love it. I absolutely love it. In my office when I'm working with couples or families, they begin to talk to me about their dysfunctions, which we all have. And they start talking about some of the arguments they have. My favorite ones are the ones that happen on the way to church, okay? And everything's going wrong. The kids aren't ready. Somebody's running late. Everybody's trying to run out the door. It's hectic. Screams are happening. They get into the church parking lot. The horns are out. The smoke's coming out of the ears, and the door opens. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. Smiles are on. Come in, do our thing, and walk back out. And hoping nobody brings up what happened before church. Pretend everything is hunky-dory with your life, even when it's not. Pretend to care when you don't give a flip. Pretend you've got great kids, a great marriage, when your family is just as dysfunctional as the rest of us. I like that one. I love it when someone comes in and starts talking about their dysfunctional family like it's the only one. I'll let you in on a secret. I learned about 20 minutes into my first ministry. Every family is dysfunctional. They're just dysfunctional in different ways. But pretending is efficient, isn't it? It's uncomplicated and quick. Here's what it's like in our greeting time. How are you doing this morning? Good, I'm fine, good. That's pretending, right? But we kind of like that because in reality, what if you went up to someone and said, How are you doing this morning? Well... I'm about a week out from going bankrupt. My wife resents me. My kids hate me. And my hemorrhoids are flaring up again. (laughs) You know, at that point, you're like, please pretend that everything's okay. (laughs) You really don't want that. So on both sides of it, we're like, I hope he pretends when I ask him. And that's why we set a time limit on the greeting time for people like that. (laughs) That are not pretending. But secondly, we have to admit to ourselves that we are unfinished. Now, real spirituality is not about being finished and perfect. It's about trusting God in our unfinishedness. That means we're under construction. Have any of you ever lived in a house under construction? Some of you have, I'm sure. And the scars are still there. It's a hair-raising, patient, stretching, argument-causing, downright messy experience at times. Every house that we've lived in, Lisa and I, we we had a house in Macon, and we had a house in, uh, in Manchester when we were there, and then we had a house here before we built one. But each of those houses was, you know, a couple days older than baseball and needed some work. And... So it always involved flooring, it seemed to be, and and I took it upon myself to become an expert in redoing floors. And when you redo floors, you have to move things around, and and it kind of 
puts things in turmoil, all right? And you have to move stuff in and, you know, you're in your bedroom with the living room furniture and, and everybody else. And, and it's just kind of an event that keeps kind of going and going and going. And then we built a house. We actually built our shop before we built a house, which I thought was a cool man thing to do. But we lived in, the, in our camper while we built the house. And it was really, really fun to kind of camp and have the family the first night. And then after that, it, it, the walls just kind of got closer and closer, and it was, it was crowded at times. And, but we, we made it. But in our lives, in our humanity, we want things to be wrapped up very neatly, and we need them to be finished. We need to know the end of the story before we even want to read it. And some people are like that. They'll flip to the back of the book and go, okay, I'll read, I'll read this one. I like the way it ends. That's kind of weird, isn't it? But it's part of our human nature to not want things unraveling around us. And that's why we yearn for finished. I'll let you in on another secret that I learned the second half hour of my first ministry. The work of God in our lives will never be finished until we meet Jesus face to face. God begins a good work in us. He starts changing us. But the finished process is more than a lifetime process. Be of good cheer, though, friends. The word of God is true. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're told in that verse that our nitty-gritty will remain nitty-gritty until the day of the Lord. And that day is not here yet. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to be ashamed of your unfinishedness. That's God's plan. And if you're pretending, shame on you. God does not intend to finish you here. He only intends to finish you there. So trust God for your unfinishedness. Third, in the nitty-gritty of your humanity, you will always be incompetent. You should have an amen or two there. Like, oh, thank you. I've been incompetent all my life. Now it's okay and allowed. But Jesus cares more about our desire than our competence. I'll never forget, early on in my ministry, the kids, the youth wanted to go ice skating. Okay? I pride myself in some athleticism every now and then. And I grew up in the uh, middle school skating rink. Amen. For that, you know. Something we don't all like to admit, but the skating rink was a cool place, and I could do it pretty well. I could play paddle tag with the rest, you know, with the best of them, and and do the things that you do in the skating rink that we just won't talk about. But anyway, we decided to go ice skating. So everybody's getting their ice skates on, putting them on, and and my wife gets hers on, and she goes out there and starts skating, and I'm putting mine on, and and I, I get them all laced up, and I stand up, and they just flopped over. I was like, oh my. This hurts. I'm trying to pull. I could not, for the life of me, stand on ice skates. I felt like the biggest loser of all time, just sitting there going, I really I can't stand up. I'll just go and wait here, I guess. My wife's out there skating and having a good time. And she laughed at me. <laughs> and to this day, if we talk about ice skating, she gets this kind of grin about her. And it was early in my, our marriage, and I was like, I'm not sure if I want to do this. It hurt my feelings. But I am incompetent on skates, and I will admit it. Having Jesus meet your nitty-gritty, though, is the humiliating recognition that we don't do holy living very well. 
I don't know as much of God's word that I want to. I don't pray as often as I should. But look at who Jesus responded to in Scripture. He responded to those who interrupted him, those who yelled at him, those who touched him, those who busted in ceilings to get to him. He even responded to those who yelled obscenities at him. Each of these things shows extreme desire, a desire to be close, a desire to be noticed, a desire to be healed. Jesus responds to desire more than competence. I'd rather have an attempt that gets half the job done than no attempt that gets none of the job done. It reminds me of a lady who got in line with a bunch of soldiers with guns on their shoulders and and they're walking in a line and she hops in line with them and she has a broom on her shoulder. And one of the soldiers looks at her and says, what in the world are you going to do with a broom? And she said, I may not be able to do anything with it, but at least... Everybody will know whose side I'm on. I thought about that story and thought that at least let your neighbors, your family, the world and all eternity know whose side you're on. I believe the church is the place where the incompetent, the unfinished, and even the unhealthy are welcome. And I believe Jesus agrees with that. Finally, when your nitty-gritty meets Jesus, you realize that Christianity is, not, is, is more than a pleasant distraction, a nice alternative, or a positive influence. Nitty-gritty is where desperation meets Jesus. In Jesus' day, religious people who either ignored or rejected them surrounded desperate people. Not much has changed in 2,100 years. Desperate people don't do well in most churches. They don't fit. Desperate people very rarely are worried about the mess they make on the way to Jesus. Have you ever watched a kid who desperately wants something, how single-mindedly they're attuned to getting to it? I preached a, a while back and told a story about almost killing my son and I have yet another story of when I almost killed my son and I was called out on that after the 9 o'clock service but if I keep preaching you'll probably turn me into defects but it was when Jordan was three, three or so he, he was talking and, and um, even after this he still talked but we had a house that was sort of um, had sort of a circle in the middle of it. You'd have to go through our bedroom, and it opened up and then turned around, and and that's confusing. There was a circle in the middle of the house, and Jordan would get on his little you know four wheel car, and he'd cruise around that as fast as he could, and he'd get up on two wheels, and he's had a big time on hardwood and tile, and you know we'd hear the bump bump of going through the thresholds. Well, one day I was you know training him, and um, had the uh, the fake stopwatch, you know, the one I've got right now. And I said, Jordan, let me time you. And he started running around the circle as hard as he could. He'd run, start in the kitchen. He'd go all the way around and get back to the right where we started. And I'd stop the clock and I'd give him the time. And we did that a few times. He got better and better at it. I said, man, you're getting faster and faster. Let's go again. Well, unbeknownst to either one of us, Lisa was unloading the dishwasher. And... As she was doing that, there was a, a drawer with a silverware in it that she had pulled out 
and left open. And she went back, and, and some of you are wincing already because you know how this ends. And um, so he's going wide open. I'm timing him. I'm so proud. And um, I got a track star on my hands. And he comes around the corner, and that drawer that was out caught him about right here. And if you ever you heard the statement or the, the term, he knocked his feet out from under him, that's an understatement, all right? His feet left the floor, and he hit flat on his back. And I just went over him and thought, oh, gosh, he's dead. And uh, <laughs> he, he looked up, and he said, what was my time? And... Um, <laughs> Uh, then he cried a lot, and uh, but he was he was so focused and so in tune to where he was going. He didn't notice that. And sometimes in our faith journey, well, I think most of the time in our faith journey, God is calling us to have that passion and that desperation for Him. But the world says, "Don't be desperate. Don't dare be desperate. We want safety. <coughs> we don't act like we." need anything we don't shout for joy anymore because we might look silly don't let them see you sweat don't get excited don't act desperate and for heaven's sake don't be desperate a few years back i was um, doing senior trips with our youth ministry and took a group over to the bahamas and on this prior to this trip we it's kind of this build up with myself and my intern um, we were challenging some of the other guys to two-on-two volleyball. And, and this was back when I could get out of bed without hurting. It's probably one of the reasons I'd get out of bed hurting today, but we, we played a lot of two-on-two volleyball, so much that so we had this portable net system for the beach that we could take with us and set up. And I'd see some of our former youth, even in this room, smiling because of this. But we're out here on the beach, and, and we're on Bimini, Bahamas. It's super hot, and we have this one gallon water of jug of water and we carry it over there with us and it islands like 200 yards wide so we leave the boat where we are go over to the beach side and we set up we start playing we're having a big time and it's getting hotter and hotter and we you know we waited till you know the the cool of the day about 12 o'clock to go play and we're out there and the sun's just beating down about four or five games into this we're out of water and we've been playing for a while and I get ready for the serve to come and I got my hands on my knees and I've stopped sweating at this point, which I know is not a good thing, and I realize that. And in my pride, I didn't want to say a word. So I'm like, I'm the oldest guy out here. Somebody's going to bust me out if I say I'm tired. So I would rather just die on the beach. <laughs> so I'm sitting here, and my intern's over here, and I finally just get up the curtain and look over, and I said, man, are you, are you about to die? He said, man, I'm about to pass out. I didn't want to say anything. And we all kind of got a laugh out of it. But in, in my own pride and selfishness, I didn't want to say anything. To the point of having heat stroke on a beach, you know, 70 miles from the nearest health center. I'd have just died there on the sandy beaches of Bimini, which wouldn't have been a bad place to go, but probably not the best option either. But when the nitty-gritty meets Jesus, and I know it is a fact, you get desperate to get what you don't have and desperate to keep it once you've got it. And the Bible relates this spectacle that I mentioned earlier. Four friends so desperate for the healing of their friend. They're willing to carry their friend across town to see the healer. And they get to him in the line so long, they can't get into the house where he's healing. In desperation, they went up to the roof 
They cut a hole. They didn't have a Dewalt. No, they dug with their fingers through this thatch roof. And from there they lowered their friend in the midst of this throng at the feet of the healer. The Bible says when Jesus saw the faith of these friends, he told the man to take up your bed and walk. The nitty-gritty of these friends' lives was desperation. When the nitty-gritty met Jesus that day, a man was healed and was blessed. Have you pretended too long? Pretended you were finished or competent? Or perhaps that you had it all together. You're not desperate. Ooh. You could take it or leave it. Well, nitty gritty, meet Jesus. Anybody got a deck chair that needs unfolding today? Pray with me.